Good morning, everybody. To start our uh, a new series off today, a parable from Jesus. Jesus says, "What do you think?" He asked the people listening to him this day. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted, Jesus asked. Well, his audience replied, well, the first did. Surely one of the greatest frustrations as a parent comes when your child says they're going to do something and then doesn't. Surely that's got to be the case. Will you please clean up your room? Will you please take out the rubbish? Will you please empty the dishwasher? Yes, mum. Yes, dad, I will. And you're still waiting. Got to be frustrating, right? But that situation is not merely related to kids, is it? I mean, wives, you know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> wives, I'm sure there are some husbands, some husbands, where fall into the category as well. <laughs> Honey, will you do this for me? Yes, dear. And you're still waiting. And you're still waiting. Now, it's a very good thing that Edwin is not here today to reveal whether or not that applies to me or not. I thank God that she's not here, because I wonder what she would reveal. But the story of Jesus, he compares two sons, two brothers, and as his audience affirmed, and as I'm sure that we would affirm as well, it's the son, it is the child of the father who ultimately will please his father, is the one who actually does what his father wanted him to do. Not the one who heard, not merely the one who said, I'm going to do it, but the one who did what his father wanted. And so the takeaway, the very brief takeaway from this parable could very well be that with our lives What we are to do is actually do what the Father has wanted us to do. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, writes in the book that bears his name in the New Testament these words. He says, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to it. Do what it says. Now, this theme of not just hearing what to do, not just agreeing to do it, but actually following through, actually doing it, is a big issue for Jesus, and it is a big issue for his brother James as well. Now, for clarity and right up front at the start of this new series, doing what God wants you to do is not to earn God's love. And it's not to earn your place in heaven. You see, you can't earn any of that. You can't earn it. Because God's favour is already upon you because he loves you. And your place in heaven is already secure because of your faith in Jesus' death and his resurrection. That is what secures that up. You can't earn those particular things. But instead, this doing is in response to God's love. 
And this doing is in response to what Jesus has done. And this doing is the result. It is the evidence of a life that has been transformed by these very things. It is evidence of a life that's been transformed by God's love, by his sacrifice and by his power. So today we're starting a brand new series that's called Don't Just Sit There. And each week of this series, we're going to have a closer look at the encouraging and convicting and guiding words of James, Jesus' brother. And so each week of this series, we're going to be looking at another, a different chapter of the book of James. And so for, um, for this week, because it's the first week of the series, we're looking at chapter one. Now, can I encourage you, read the book of James, because it is a profound piece of literature. It's an incredibly powerful part of our scriptures. Read it if you can. Come prepared each Sunday to know what we're going to be talking about because that will help that part, that chapter of the book come alive for you. Now, usually whenever it is said, don't just sit there, it actually usually refers to what? As actually getting up and doing something. Now, as we looked at, from just mentioned from James chapter 1, verse 22 before, We see that James has already mentioned, is saying, look, I want you to do something. I don't want you to merely hear it. I want you to do it. And what we will see through the whole book is James's continual encouragement. Don't just sit there. Do something. His encouragement says, if you have a faith, let your faith have legs. Don't just simply sit down on your blessed assurances and just go through life. Get up and do something. Do something with the faith that you have. Do something with what you have heard. Do something with what you have learnt. Because it is good to sit and contemplate and reflect upon the words of Jesus. But our faith is also to get up and do something with that. Not merely sit and listen and contemplate. And so we're going to be looking at the implications of the focus of James through the next few weeks. But before we get into looking at chapter 1 in particular, just a little bit of a background to this letter. Now, what may be a surprise to many of us is that the commonly held belief by the vast majority of scholars is, in fact, that the book of James is the very first book written in the New Testament. Even before the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, James comes first. And it's actually written around the time of 50 AD. Now, this is significant when you think about it. And that is because James didn't have any other source material to go on when he wrote this thing. He didn't have the writings of the apostles. He had nothing from Peter. He had nothing from Paul. And so all that James wrote is a reflection from what he remembers Jesus saying. And what people said Jesus said. Now, it's really interesting when you have a read through James, you will see that there's very little reference to Jewish history and Jewish religious practice. Even though James was primarily based in Jerusalem for the majority of his life, even though that he was a Jew and would have known the Jewish law very, very well, when you read through the book of James, you will see very little reference to Jewish religious practice 
and Jewish history, which is really strange, particularly when you have a look at the book that comes before James in our New Testament. That is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about Jewish religious practice, talks a lot about Jewish history, but not James. Why would that be the case? Well, I suggested it's because so profound has James' transformation been that he doesn't need to refer back to old Jewish practice. He doesn't need to refer to uh, Jewish history because in Jesus, all the old law, all the law of Moses has now been fulfilled in Jesus' presence and in his teaching. Because Jesus himself says that he has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so from James's perspective, Jesus, his brother coming, is now a fulfillment of all the ancient texts. So why do I need to mention all the ancient texts? Because all I've got to do is look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Jesus brings greater clarity and and a complete perspective on the ancient scriptures. We just need to look at Jesus. Now that's a really interesting perspective to have. And a really important one. So let's, with that background, let's have a bit of a closer look at chapter one, shall we? From a song from a little while ago that some of us may remember, maybe even remember very well. Love is a many splendid thing. You know, remember that song? For those of us who love Greece, I'm sure that we can remember the background music of, you know, love is a many splendid thing when Danny and Sandy are running along the beach in Greece. Anyone remember that scene? Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Love is a many splendid thing. But love is not a gooey feeling. Love is a verb. Love is a doing word. Now, if you want to know how much God loves us, look at what he's done for us. And he said, God doesn't merely have a passive like of you. He has an active love for you. His love for you means he does loving things for you. Now, last week, if you were here, we're reminded about the words that Jesus said when he was asked about what is the greatest commandment. And this is how Jesus replied. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, Jesus says. So according to Jesus, and since love is a doing word, your love for God will see you do things for God, not to earn particular things, but out of response to God's love for us because he first loved us. And this love that you have for God will then translate then also to you loving and doing things for your neighbour as well. Now, last week we spoke about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your strength and how that's about using the special abilities uniquely gifted to you by the Holy Spirit for you to show who God is. Now, what we'll see, though, when we read through the book of James is that there's only a very little, not a lot, but only a very little mention about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your strength. But what we will notice is that there's a lot more focus in James about how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. 
and how that then translates into your love that you have for your neighbour. Now, in Scripture, there are some different words for heart and soul and mind, and sometimes it's a little bit of crossover with some of the meanings when it comes to that. But generally, it is, it is helpful to understand that in this context about what is the greatest commandment, when Jesus says heart, he's referring to your feelings about God. When it comes to soul, Jesus is referring to your desire for God. And your mind is your thoughts of God. Heart, soul, mind. Feelings, desires and thoughts. And understanding this is so important because it is usually one or all of these things which will ultimately determine about whether or not we're just going to sit there or whether or not we're actually going to do something. Whether or not we're actually going to do something because of the way that we feel about God, the way we desire God, and the way that we think about God. These are things that are going to decide about what we're going to do. What we're going to do. And so James, after verse 1 of chapter 1, James says, Hey, it's me. I'm writing a letter here, guys. He immediately goes into something significant. In verse 2 of chapter 1, after a very brief greeting, James then straight off the bat gets stuck into the people about their love, about their loving the Lord, the God of all their heart, soul and mind. But he does so in talking about a ridiculously heavy topic. This is what he says. He says these words, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Man, that's some heavy words there. This is not light and fluffy stuff. It's interesting that... James makes reference to this situation right up front and which suggests then that this is the pressing issue for his audience in Jerusalem. See, the severe famine in Jerusalem, had, in Judea actually, had, 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 taken, had taken its toll. It had been around for around about four years and we know that there was a significant famine in Judea around that time. So, as we know, whenever famine hits... We all remember live aid and all that sort of stuff. We know the impact of severe famine. Severe famine was in the, in the, in the area of Judea and had been going on for four year, at least four years. And so the people were doing it really, really tough when he wrote these words. But not only that, not only were they struggling through famine, but these followers of Jesus were still experiencing the persecution of the Jewish leaders as well. So things were not easy in Jerusalem at the time when James wrote these words. But his challenge is this. Well, what are you going to do in the midst of these difficulties? Now, in our various 
uh, in our spiritual journeys, we develop various theologies. Theologies is basically just our attempt to explain and understand what happens in this world and particularly what happens in regards to God. Now, when we were first saved by Jesus, we had heard about the theology of sin, about the fact that we are sinners, that we fall short of God's mark. But because of God's great love for us, he sent us a saviour. And that we ultimately are saved by recognising the saviour that God has sent to us because of our sin. Now, many of us have accepted that. But along the way, many of us pick up other personal theologies. Like, for instance, a theology of blessing, which is our attempt to explain and understand why God would bless certain people, how he blesses certain people and why. That's an example of another one of our personal theologies that we all may have. But out of all of these other theologies, there is one upon which most others are built. And that is the theology of suffering, which again is our attempt to explain and understand why people suffer when there's an all-powerful God who supposedly loves us. Now, some of us have... I have to say, have rather distorted theologies when it comes to suffering, if we have a theology of suffering at all. And so what that means is that is our feelings about God. It is our desire for God and it is our thoughts of God, our heart, soul and mind, which deeply is affected by the way that we view suffering in our own lives and suffering in this world. For many people, even though that we have accepted a reality that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sin, we have developed theology that says, because of God's great love for me, seen in the coming of Jesus, then this great love for me would mean that I will no longer suffer. I won't have any difficulties. There will be no inconvenience and no pain because God loves me. And so our theology, our explanation, gets to a point where we're saying, well, if I do suffer, if I do have pain, if, things, if I do have disappointment in my life, then that's evidence then that God actually doesn't exist. Now, that goes against everything that Jesus says. Let me give you an example here. Jesus says, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus makes it very clear. Guys, you're going to struggle at times in your life. There will be difficulty, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering that you're going to go through. He goes and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I don't know what it's like about you. If you've ever done Lent before, trying to give up chocolate is a struggle for us. We know the suffering that happens when you try to give up chocolate. Or the coffee. Anyone tried to give up coffee during Lent? You know that that's a hell ride for you right there, isn't it? You know it's hard. 
So whenever we deny ourselves, there's usually difficulty and pain and suffering associated with that. Added to that is Jesus says, take up the method of execution. Often we forget about what Jesus is actually saying here. And then he goes on to somewhere else and says, these religious leaders, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, Jesus says, so that when their time comes, you remember that I warned you that this stuff is going to happen. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous speech, the King's speech. And there's, right at the front, there's a section called the Beatitudes. You may remember that we've had a look at the Beatitudes before. And Jesus in the Beatitudes says that you will grieve, that there will be conflict in your relationships, that there, there will be persecutions and all kinds of evil being done to you. Jesus makes it very clear that suffering will be part of our human experience. Even more so, if you happen to be someone then who chooses to follow Jesus, then your suffering, your persecution will even be greater than the majority of people. But according to our own theology of suffering, it will determine what we do when suffering comes. It will, our theology of suffering will determine what we do when we experience difficulty. See, James is saying here that when you love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind, it tells you what you're going to do when it comes. Not if it comes, when it comes. When it comes. See, when suffering comes, in my heart, it means that I'm not going to feel that God hates me or that he's punishing me. Or when suffering comes in my soul, I'm going to seek God, desire God, need God to come and comfort and strengthen me when I feel like I'm so fragile, so weak, and I've got nothing left. When suffering comes in my mind, I'm going to think and remember that Jesus says that there will be trouble in my lifetime, that I'm not immune to that. And these difficulties that I'm going through is not evidence that God doesn't exist or that God doesn't love me. And so I'm not simply going to sit in my pain. I'm going to do something, and I'm going to do something that affirms in my spirit and affirms to God exactly what I believe about him. Because I'm going to persevere through it because God hasn't gone anywhere and God hasn't changed from the person that I believed him to be just five minutes ago before this came upon me. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to change that in my heart, my soul and in my mind. So very sadly, yesterday... I attended the funeral of a newborn, of a person who was in a previous church that I was at. This newborn had lived for one week and spent all the time in the ICU.
What a simply traumatic and tragic situation. And a situation that no parent should have to endure. From all the excitement of getting ready to become parents for the very first time and to welcome the addition into their family to what ultimately unfolded is nothing short of an absolute tragedy. You see, there are some things that we go through in our lives that have no understanding what their purpose is. In those times when we're just sitting there numb and confused, wondering about God, wondering what we are to do, James says, I want you to ask for wisdom. And his affirmation is that God will generously grant you wisdom without finding fault to anybody. If you want to ask for wisdom in the time when you're suffering, when you have no answers to what's going on, God will give that generously to us. Now, that's incredibly profound when you think about the significance of what James is saying when it comes to the wisdom, when in the midst of our suffering. Because in those really hard situations, wisdom would encourage us not to change what we feel about God. In those really hard situations, wisdom would encourage us to not to change how much we need God. And in those really hard situations, wisdom would encourage us not to change what we think about God. Because wisdom will tell us that even though our situation has changed and even changed profoundly sometimes, God hasn't changed. God hasn't left. And God's love for me and for others in my life, in our world, hasn't changed either. Wisdom says, I need to, in fact, affirm my deepest feelings of gratitude and reassurance from God. Wisdom says, I need to, in fact, affirm my deepest desire and need for God to allow his power to help me through this and for it to be displayed in my life. I need to affirm my deepest thoughts about God's reality, even when things are hard, but hard doesn't even begin to describe what we're going through. And when things don't always make sense. Because without affirming these three things, that your faith and my faith is in real jeopardy. Because what we'll end up doing is walking away altogether. See, I'm amazed at how many people I have seen in my years of pastoring. People who James describes as being those like who are tossed around in a raging sea, or even more strongly, double-minded and unstable in all they do. And this description comes because they have not allowed themselves to develop a theology of suffering. And that is despite everything that Jesus has said previously, they're saying suffering is going to happen in your life. So what are you going to do in the midst of it? So James says, even in the pain you feel, even in the suffering you're experiencing, even in the grief that is breaking your heart, do something. 
in your heart, still keep faith-filled feelings about God. In your soul, still desire God's presence and express your need for his help. In your thoughts, in your mind, keep your thoughts focused on the reality, the power and the compassion of God, even in the darkest darkness and even in your despair. Even in your suffering, you can do something. So just don't hear that Jesus loves you. Just don't hear that Jesus is with you. Just don't hear that Jesus sees every tear that you cry. Respond to it. Respond to it by loving God back with your emotions, with your desires and with your thinking for as long as your pain persists. Because these are the very foundations of how you persevere and why you persevere. You see, we learn to persevere with our heart, soul and our mind because we affirm in those three areas, our heart, our soul and our mind, exactly who God is. And what we'll see is that in those times when we affirm about who God is, we won't in fact be lacking anything, even in times when we feel like we've lost everything. Now, I know that we've perhaps gone down a much heavier pathway than many of you were expecting when you came in today. You know, we warmly greeted there by Brett today and Welcome to church today. Isn't it really good to be here? And John's given us a warm welcome and all that sort of stuff today. And then Troy gets up and talks about this stuff. May not be what you're expecting today, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. And talk about it in a way where we understand that what we do when we suffer actually is a thing that sees us become transformed people. Because one of the ways that we know that Jesus is transforming us is what we do in the midst of our pain and suffering. That's how we know that Jesus is changing us, transforming us in our difficulties and in our disappointments, in our conflict and in our grief. And the way that he changes us it's by doing what he says. Now, I've only just focused on about six verses here of James chapter 1. In chapter 1, James talks about a whole lot of other stuff as well. He talks about responding in a way that we can show God how much we love him with our heart, soul and mind and how that will have a huge impact upon all of our interactions with people as well. But when you read through chapter 1, you may have already done this. But if you read through chapter 1, your eyes may still be drawn to the words that I've sort of touched on very briefly at the start and which is expanded upon in the few verses following. When James, when, when James says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Some of us, considering how we're going at the moment, we wish we could forget what we look like. Is that right? 
He says, sometimes we just immediately forget what we look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Get that? Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be the people who are blessed in all that they do. Now, we've talking about some pretty heavy stuff here. Whenever you talk about suffering, it's a pretty heavy topic. So to light the mood today, I wonder if this is a situation that you can relate to. I run up to the supermarket to grab a few things. I have a mental list of what we need. But as soon as I go into the shop, I'm confronted with the person that's set up in one of those portable booths offering free samples. And they usually they're offering free samples of stuff that I really like. Cheese, chocolate ice cream, all this really yummy stuff. Here, come and try this. Ooh. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Homer. Ooh. And so, you know, even though before I left, I talked with Edwina, I said, what do we need? Oh, we need this. And so we agreed on what we need in my driving up to the shops. I remember, okay, I've got to remember this and this and this. I've got four things to remember. This and this and I'm remembering it. But as soon as I walk in the shop, all out the window. And then I come home with stuff that I didn't want and I didn't come home with the stuff that I needed. I get distracted. I get hypnotised by the free samples and all my best laid plans, all my good intentions out the window. How could I so easily forget when I've gone over it again and again about what, what I'm there for? See, the reality is that we may have heard and even read many, many times what we are to do. But the reality is that life distracts us. Life puts pressure on us. Life hurts us. Life disappoints us. Life can often seem to us being very unfair. And whenever that happens, we so quickly forget what Jesus says. And if we forget what Jesus says, then we certainly won't do what Jesus says. And we end up picking up things that we don't want and then things that we certainly do not need. We forget way too easily. But the way that we embed the reality of the risen Jesus in our lives is by actually doing what Jesus says. That is the thing that will see us become radically different. That is the thing that will see us be transformed by actually doing what Jesus says because doing embeds the Jesus reality in our lives. Doing actually gives us the life that Jesus promised and that the Bible speaks about. Doing and doing regularly makes living Jesus' way a habit. And the more we even do a habit, the more it then becomes our lifestyle. You see, remember, Jesus is to be our life. I'm sure someone somewhere along the line, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. Jesus is to be our life. I'm sure we covered that in Colossians last year. Doing what Jesus says is to become our life. It is to be our lifestyle, not something that we just merely a habit that we do or even something that we know about. We are to do what Jesus says so that we live the Jesus life. And when we live the Jesus life, As James says, 
will be blessed in all that we do. And it will affect the way that you relate to God, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and will impact all of your relationships in a good way. But to finish off this morning, let me read to you some words of Jesus. Jesus says this. I wonder if it's related to our topic today. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and otherwise does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, every, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not do them, is like a foolish man who built his, sand, his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about storms. He's talking about the storms of life. And whenever there's a storm in life, there's pain and suffering and difficulty of some description. And Jesus says that even when the storms come, even when the difficulty and suffering comes, if you will do what I say, if you put into practice my words, then you will stand firm in your life and firm in your faith. But if you do not put them into practice, your life and your faith will come crashing down. You'll be double-minded and unstable in all that you do, according to what James says. We love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. When we affirm, continually affirm, our feelings about God, our desire for God, our thoughts of God, that is what makes us strong and building a foundation on the rock. You know, many of us, we have heard countless times the things that Jesus said. Whenever we hear the, Jesus, the words of Jesus, he teaches us. And many of us have accepted the teachings of Jesus in principle. And so for many of us, Jesus is a great teacher. But we have to remember that Jesus is more than a great teacher. Many of us, we've accepted the fact that Jesus has died on the cross for our sin. Because Jesus is the saviour, not merely a saviour. He is the one and only saviour. And for many of us, we've accepted what Jesus did on the cross. And he is our saviour. But what many of us also forget is that Jesus is meant to be Lord and Saviour. Not merely teacher, not merely saviour. Jesus is to be Lord and Saviour. Lord means master, means in other words, we do what Jesus says. We take communion, we remember Jesus, and that is so important that we do. But equally as important is that we do what our master, what our Lord says. Some of us here today, we've only accepted Jesus as teacher. Maybe today is a day when you take a step forward and accept Jesus as saviour. For many of us, we have even been coming to church for ages and we have even taken communion many, many times. But we still have not made Jesus Lord. Where we obey him, where we do what he says. If that's you today... For you to accept Jesus as Lord and to accept Jesus as a Saviour, then maybe today is the day when you come take a step towards the cross 
or maybe even kneel before it. If you're online today and you realise that you have not made Jesus saviour and you have not made Jesus Lord in your life yet, then maybe it's the day of salvation for you. And today is a day when you say, yes, I'm going to make Jesus Lord and Saviour of my life. If that is you, they would love to talk with you about that decision. If that is you here today, we'd love to talk about what is happening in your heart right now. So please don't miss this opportunity. Michael and Kirsty are going to be leading us in one final song in just a few moments. So please take advantage of coming out and seeing myself or John Owens. We'd love to pray with you about that. And Jennifer, if I could ask you if you could be available to, as well, that, that, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. But more, than, but can I just say this for, to finish off? Some of us have come here today, and you're you're in real pain. You're suffering immensely, and maybe even have done so for a long time. Can I reassure you that God sees what you're going through? God sees every tear that you cry. God is with you every step of the way. And we've affirmed that, faith, that, that reality and the things that Michael and Kirsty have led us in this morning in song, we've affirmed that. And can I say in word, God is with you and he loves you. And he's there to help you. Our response to that in the midst of our difficulty is to affirm who God is to us so that we can appreciate how much he loves us. Because what we know is the more that we allow, affirm who God is, the more we'll be able to see his hand at work in our lives, particularly when we're suffering, particularly when we're going through difficulties. The more you want to see God in your life and how much he loves you and what he does for you is very much a reflection of how much we love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and our mind. Affirm today who God is, how you feel about God. Affirm today your desire and need for God. Affirm today your thoughts about who God is so that you can see in greater clarity exactly how much God loves you. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we know that this is a difficult topic today, Lord God, when we're talking about suffering and we know this is just an introduction to what James will talk about. Lord, but I know that there are people listening to my voice right now who have been going through the ringer, Lord God, that things have been tough in their lives. Both now and in the times in the past and maybe even for some of us, we have, our faith has not been built on the rock. We've been feel like we've been tossed around, our faith has been tossed around, but your words of your servant James affirms to us today about how we can firm up our faith in who you are Lord God, by loving you with all our heart, soul, mind and I pray Lord God that there is not one person here today that that does not affirm that reality in their spirit today they're going to love you more with their feelings they're going to love you more with their desire, they're going to love you more with their thinking about who you are and so that when we do go through suffering, that you make us strong and you help us persevere and we see you at work in our lives. Lord, I just want to really pray now for anyone who is feeling you, Holy Spirit, just touching their hearts right now, that we may respond to you in courage because you're touching our hearts so deeply. 
Lord, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. I want to thank you for your continued graciousness and love for us as we journey through life with you. I want to thank you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.